Okay. I'm glad you're here. We'll, uh, we'll start off um, maybe with a, a bit of an overview about uh, this new book that we're in, Devarim, and try to try to figure out what, what's going on because Devarim, just the, the, the concept of Devarim itself is very deep. Um, what does it me, mean? Well, it means it means words, really. It can it can mean things. I mean that in itself is is something special because in Torah the word for word and thing is the same thing, and that's that's meaningful because when when God created the wor- world, He created things with words. So it's it, it's uh, it's it's very. Uh, Understandable, but you you don't see this in English. You only see it in the depth of what we call lashna kodesh, in the, in the depth of the holy tongue, that you see that there's this correlation, this direct correlation between words and things. Because, um, like I said, when God God spoke the created world into existence. Um, also, there's a kind of a a point of uh, musr, which is sort of like um, sort of a, an ethical point for us to know. That um, sometimes we 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 kid ourselves and we we deal very loosely with ourselves and we say, oh, it's um just words. Mm-hmm. People can can be very dismissive. They can go, it's just words. And uh, and words are things. Words are things. And 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 we have to understand that. And not only that, but just like God created the the physical universe with with words. Right, so we create reality. We create realities with words, and I'll give you a, an example of that. If um, if there were say a, a homeless-looking man, right, this type of looking person in the room, right, and I came over to you and I whispered to you, that man is a multi-multi-millionaire. I promise you, you would treat him differently. And why would you treat him differently? Because your reality has been altered, my words have have created a a reality in your in your mind, the, in your perception. Now you look at him and you look at him differently. So so you see, words are things in terms of dealing with each other, and we have to be very very conscious of our words. And at the same time, we see that just like God created the universe with words, so we create perceptions and realities with words. So there's a very very strong parallel between these uh, mm-hmm. between these things. So that's that's the word itself, devarim. That's why they say the pen is mightier than the sword. Pen are words, you know, in the same pen is mightier than the sword because pen represents words that people write. Well, is the pen mightier than the sword? So if I have a sword and you have a pen, I will beat you in that fight. I will stab you, and you know, so I will win that fight. So. Um, so, so I know what you meant, but 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 <laughs> I believe me, I heard that phrase before. <laughs> but I wanted to show you how how, how words that words can be taken many different ways, and you can even be uh, literally literal or intentionally literal, and then that can flip things over also. So, so words um, are a bit of a quicksand, you know, in terms of uh, in terms of the way it goes. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there is there is this idea that um, 
you know, if you can, if you can create a, a consciousness, then that consciousness can unseat an entire government, or it can change the entire world. And uh, to a certain extent, I think that you're seeing that going on in the Arab world today with this whole Arab Spring. Although it's not in, entirely clear, you know, it's not entirely clear, you know, what their actual aim is, you know, and how it's all going to kind of sort itself out. But, but nonetheless, huge revolutions have, have taken place, as, as you point out, with words. Because, again, if you can change the way people see the world, then people will act differently and they'll even fight for ideals. And, 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 and you know, sometimes, you know, many people will die for a cause. And, and how, how do you die for a cause? Like, how does that happen? The whole thing begins with, um, with words. And ideas, you know. So that's that's how it all begins. That's how it all takes place. So yeah. So all that is is, is captured in the word devar. But I actually wanted to um, make a different point, which is that um, devarim, like I say, I think is 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 very 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 deep. Because you see, you know, I know when I was first learning Torah, and and I found out what I'm about to tell you, and I'm sure many of you know this anyway. When I first found this out, I was troubled by it. it, it what I'm about to tell you. I, was, I, I just felt like, oh, there's something wrong with this. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized how, how beautiful this, this, this is. And that's that the sages and everyone make no bones about the following fact. Sefer Devarim was written by Moshe Rabbeinu. That's from, that's from Moshe Rabbeinu. That's, that's an open fact. No one tries to hide that. No one tries to say otherwise. So, so then the question is, if, if Sefer Devarim, if the book of Deuteronomy, is from Moshe Rabbeinu, then, okay, I can live with that, I guess, but then why include it in the five books? Like, let's have, because remember, the sixth book, who knows what the name of the sixth book is? Yeshua, right, so call it, call, call this Sefer Moshe, we have a Sefer Yeshua, no one has any problem with the Sefer Yeshua, so we'll call this Sefer Moshe, and then we'll keep the four books from from God purely, the, the, the way it is. You know, but that's not, that's not what God wanted. This was God's decision to include this book as part of the Chumash itself. This was God's decision. No one was trying to sneak Sefer Devarim, like, you know something? Like, you know, we really want to sell this for $25. If it's an extra 30 pages long, you know, maybe we could sell it for a little bit more. It would be more of a commodity, you know. Can we just, we'll just slip that in there, you know? You know, no, no one is trying to pull a fast one. So if that's the case, if no one's trying to pull a fast one, then why include Sefer Moshe, if you will, in, in, in the five books? Alright, so that's, that's one question. Another question is the following, which is um, uh, Sefer Devarim is also known by another name, which is Mishnah Torah. The Mishnah Torah means the repetition of the Torah. And um, you see that basically Moshe is reviewing all the events of the first um, of the first four books, really, the whole journey through out of Egypt and through the desert, the forty years, and everything like this, also giving over instruction for future generations, all the rest. Okay, so 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 if it's called Mishnah Torah, which means a repetition of the Torah, right? Then how is it 
that we find new mitzvahs in Sefer Devarim that aren't in the other four books. Right? Okay, so again, if you want to call it a pure repetition, call it a pure repetition, I'm fine with that. But new mitzvahs? Aha, so what's going on there? So these two ideas are going to connect. These two ideas are going to connect. Okay? And, um, and, we'll, and we'll get more deeply into it. So... He did. He did. Okay, so good. Okay, good. There, there is no differentiation, and what you're saying is, is very important, and let's make that point right now. Okay, so I heard from Rabbi Sitran in the name of the Abarbana, a, a, uh, a very sensual Torah that, which answers this question and basically makes your point, I think, very beautifully, which is, which is the following. That, that Again, the question is, if Moshe wrote it, and everyone has no qualms about saying that Moshe wrote it, then why do we include it in the five books? We're ready for the first answer. And the answer is because after Moshe said it, God said, good, now write it down. So in other words, it's true Moshe said it, but then God wanted it to be said in his name, so to speak. God wanted it from him, which is why it's included in the five books, which is all from God. Okay? And also, Moshe didn't just write it, he didn't just say it. He said it from the highest, highest, highest levels of prophecy. And that's hinted at in something that I'm going to go more deeply into later, which is the fact that the very first letter of Sefer Devarim is the letter Aleph. And Aleph is, you know, it's, it stands for really Hashem. Because I think most of you are familiar with this idea. The, the letter Aleph is actually three letters. It's a Yud, and a Vav, and a Yud. And we could spend the rest of the night just discussing the letter Aleph. It's so deep. However, one point, which is that if you add up the different parts of the letter Aleph, Yud plus Yud, Yud is the number ten, so Yud plus Yud is 20. Vav is 6. So the letter, if you break up the letter Aleph, which is the Gematria 1, which stands for the oneness of God, if you break it up into its constituent parts, it adds up to the number 26, which is Keneged, which is the number of Hashem's holiest name, Yud Ke Vav Ke. So in other words, the more you go into the Aleph, the more you see that it stands for Hashem. So the fact that Moshe is channeling down this level of prophecy and that the book begins with the letter Aleph, is a statement, it's a validation, that his prophecy is coming straight from Hashem, and is coming from the highest level of Hashem. Okay? But you see, I want to get into this next point now. Because, and, and in order to do it, I, I, I want to show you something, which is one of really, one of, really one of my favorite things in the Torah, I have to tell you. And, um, I'll tell you where to find it. It's, um, if you want to see it, it's on page 10 in the Art Scroll Chumash. It's chapter 2, verse 4. Now, you, could, you might wonder, and, and just so, let me just introduce the idea so you understand where I'm going with this. What I'm talking about is that the first four books are from Hashem, and the last book is from Moshe, but he's channeling Hashem. 
He's, he's, he's prophetically bringing it down from Hashem, but he's bringing it down as Moshe. But he's become so transformed and so um, like elevated during his lifetime and so steeped in prophecy and kedusha that he's a human being at this point. He's born of flesh and blood. He's, he's, he's 100% a human being. But at this point, he's almost like an angel, if you will. Right? So, so again, keep in mind this, um, this structure. The four books from Hashem and then Moshe. Okay? And yet, that fifth book is also from Hashem. Alright? Now, I'm going to show you that same structure in a different way. And now we're going to be able to go more deeply into the... Um, question of why Hashem structured the Chumash like this. What does it say to us? What does it mean to us in our own spiritual lives? Now, I'll ask you a question, and it's going to be answered by chapter 2, verse 4 of Breshis, of Genesis, okay? And this is the following question. Where do you think, and I've just given you the answer, by the way, where do you think the first mention of the Yudke Vavke is, Hashem's holiest name is, in the Chumash. So, if you didn't know the answer that I just told you, <laughs> you'd probably say, well, it's probably in the very first Pasuk of the whole Torah, in the first verse of the whole Torah, Hashem's holiest name, Yud Kevav come on. It's probably the very beginning of the Torah. Right? That's what I would have thought. Or, okay, it's not the first line, it's the second line. Okay, it's not the second line, it's the third line. So, believe it or not, something awesome, something awesome, it's, it, you know, the first section of the Torah, the first section of the Torah, and is the, the chronicle, the narrative, of the first seven days of creation. Okay? And in fact, I'll give you a support for that contention. When we, on Simcha's Torah, when we finish the Torah, you know, the first thing that we do is we start the Torah all over again. And we start reading Breshis. Where do we read up to? And that's it. The, the, the first seven days of creation. So in other words, that's, even though that's not the end of the Parsha, that's the first chunk of integrity, if you will. One that's got its own discrete, you know, identity. Right? So now, after the narrative of the seventh day, the very first Pasuk later, that's where you see the UK Vavkeh. The very, very first Pasuk after the narrative of the seven days of creation. Alright? Now, there's a reason for that, which is very deep, and maybe I can try to sum it up very quickly. Because why, why isn't Hashem's name mentioned right away? You know, I can't give you a whole thing like that and at least give you a, one fast answer. It's not what I want to concentrate on, but let me just tell you. So this is from the Chernobyl Rebbe. And basically, it involves a concept that is known as tzimtzum. That, you see, basically it's like this. The example that I always like to think about is like, imagine someone very thirsty comes up to you. And you want to give them a drink of water. So what do you do? You open up a high-powered fire hose in their face, right? You give them so much water, you're so generous, you're such a nice guy. Boom! Right? And what does it do? It knocks them off their feet. They hit their head on the ground. Right? And they don't get any water. <laughs> right? It's like the worst of all worlds. They got nothing from your tremendous act of kindness. Right? But if you were actually to filter that blast of water through, through um, pipes, right? Through a plumbing system, if you will, 
Then all of a sudden it comes out into a glass and you can actually drink it. Now that's a real act of kindness, right? So this name of Hashem, and this is what we, what we understand existed before the world was created itself. Before the world was created, we have this concept of Hashem in His infinity. Okay? That's, if you want to imagine, the Yudke Bavke, or whatever it is. Whatever name, that's, that's what it is before the world is created. Okay? But then, if Hashem wants to place His essence, place, remember, all of reality, all of the physical universe is saturated with godliness. Every single thing is imbued with the presence of Hashem. Everything. Everything. It's like, you know, one of the things I like to say it over a lot, because if you grasp this, you can, you know, you can grasp a big idea. I once imagined a conversation between two fish. So one fish says to the other fish, do you believe in water? Right? And the other fish says, you know, I don't know if I believe in water. My grandfather was very religious. He believed in water. <laughs> right? So what's, what's the joke? There's nothing but water. That's the only thing that's going on is water. So that's us. We're, you see, but because it's everywhere, you can't see it. But it's absolutely everywhere. So that's us. Where I, I was having lunch with a friend. I said, where did you park your car? He says, across the street. I said, do you realize you can't walk to your car without swimming through godliness? Right? So this is our reality. And, and it's, the, it's the complexity and the, I would say, the tragedy of the human condition that we can actually say with utter sincerity, where is God? Is there a God? I mean, if you think about it, it's the biggest joke in the entire world that we're asking ourselves this question. It's the biggest joke in the entire world. Because there, there is no spot other than God. Everything is saturated with godliness. That's all there is. God is literally the only thing that exists. And if you exist, and you're asking yourself, does God exist? That's the greatest proof that God exists. Because first of all, how do you exist? Where did you get a brain? How did you formulate the thought, does God exist? Unless there's a God, you know, working in the background. So, so oddly enough, when you say, does God exist? That then is the greatest demonstration of the existence of God. So, so oftentimes we don't see it. Now, again, when God, before the world was created, the physical universe, God existed in, in this, say, the, let's just say for conversational terms, this, this, this Yudke-Vubke state, this infinite state. Now, he wants to place himself in, 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 a, in a realm where his love can be shared, right, with human beings. That's one of the reasons why God created the world, so that he can share his love. So, so, so in order to do that, let's return back to this imagery of the fire hose. Someone's thirsty, and you want to give them a drink of water. Well, if God just, like, projects his essence, then nothing can stand in that essence, Everything just gets obliterated. Everything gets obliterated. Right? So what you need is a way to channel that down. Like a, like a, a, a plumbing system, if you will. A, a system of pipes where you can channel that godliness down in a place where it can be absorbed. This is what the name Elohim means. Sometimes it's, it's translated as judgment or, or din or something like this. So basically, it's again, it's the same. There's only one God. It's the same God. But now this is 
describing a different aspect of how he interacts with creation. Now, now it's bringing it down. It's called simsum. It's sort of like contracting God's light into a physical space that can, that can deal with it. Okay? So now this is the answer to the question why Hashem's name doesn't appear, the Yudke Bukke doesn't appear in the account of the first seven days of creation. Because God first has to step down that energy with this name Elohim so that, so that, the, so that physicality doesn't get obliterated by the awesome light. Okay, is that, is that clear? Is that clear? Now, as soon as we finish the seventh day, bang, we can say Yudke Bukke. Now we can talk again. Now, now through the faucet, so to speak, you can get a fresh glass of Yudke Bukke. Right? On Mount Sinai, it was too much light. Mount Sinai, the people fainted. It was like the whole... Yeah, yeah, but, but, but remember, there was a world already at that point. There was a world already at that point. Okay. Yellow was, was the yeah. un- unfiltered light of No, 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 the opposite, the opposite. The opposite. Yudke Vavke is the awesome infinite light, and then it gets stepped down, so to speak. It's structuring of... It's Simsum, Simsum. Then we get, with this name, Elohim. Okay, which means judgment. It's already it's already a level of confinement. When you make a judgment, what are you doing? You're saying this, not that. Right, In other words, the very the very act of judgment means a condensation of sorts. Okay. That's the that's like if you imagine infinite light being compressed, compressed, compressed until it's a it's physical. See, that's why again this is another very important teaching, which is that a lot of people think, oh, you're spiritual. I'm not spiritual. You know, that's, this is a silly thought. Basically, all there is is spirituality. That's the only thing that exists. What physicality is, is condensed spirituality. That's what, that's, what, that's what physicality is. So if someone says, I'm not spiritual, it's like, dude, that's all you are, man. You're condensed spirituality. That's all you are. I once had a spiritual experience. Yeah. That I saw the table was just vibration, a vibrational vibration. Yeah. So and then it got going away from the table, the vibrations were getting lighter and lighter. Yeah. So we so, can see it as yes. a physical reality because the vibration level is very, very condensed. Very good. Yeah, that's 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 you know, I, I I give a similar example which is, you know, if you think of um water, it 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 it, it, it Let's, let's start with ice. Let's go from the, 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 the physical to the, to the spiritual, if you will. But this is a scientific way of saying what I'm, what I'm about to say. And then we can talk about the, the God particle in a moment, too, which is all, all the same idea. It's, it's all what we're discussing right now. It's also condenser. It transforms the spirit. The physical right. energy is the matter. So this is on a spiritual level. Exactly. It also condenses. It's the physical, mo- it's, this, it's the physics of symptom. It's exactly what they found, that they, they found this in-between um, uh, strata of energy where pure energy becomes matter. And it, it passes through this strata. That's the Higgs-Boson, is that what, 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 what the name of it is? Yeah. Boson, however you pronounce it, that's, that's, that's the God particle that they found. So, but that is a description of the Kabbalistic model of the creation of the universe, which is, it's the transitional state from pure energy to matter, where energy becomes matter. And they isolated that strata. That's what they did. Which is just a, a further proof of what the Torah has been saying for thousands of years. 
Science is catching up with Torah. It's still catching up with Torah. And if, 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 if they don't, if they disagree, it just means science isn't there yet. Really, honestly. I'm, 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 you know, I'm just telling you. I mean, how could we have known this thousands of years ago when they just figured it out last week with a, with a multi-billion dollar collider that's so powerful that some people didn't want them to build it because they were afraid if there's a misfiring, it could set up an, an explosion that could blow up the world. <laughs> right, that's how big a piece of equipment they needed to find out what we've known for thousands of years. You know? Something crazy, you know? So, so uh, uh, this just should give you tremendous confidence in our sages and in our tzaddikim and, and in Hashem. Okay, so, so anyway, we've got a few ideas on the table. We've got to make sure that we stay on track, okay? Just to remind you of the larger idea, I want to show you why Hashem included Devarim in the five books. Why are we making this transition from the fourth book to the fifth book? Why are we doing that? Right? So, so, so we're going we're gonna to get to it. So anyway, let me just give you this, um, this analogy about water for a moment. So ice, if you think of ice, that's very hard, right? It's a solid. The molecule of ice is H2O. Once it, the, um, the, the, the molecules start moving a little bit faster, it changes state completely. It becomes water. Totally different from ice. It looks completely different. And yet the molecule is exactly the same, H2O. Then if the water becomes heated, it becomes vapor. You can't even see it. And what's the molecule of vapor? H2L. So in other words, you see how it goes from the physical to the spiritual, if you will. The, 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 it, and it's one spectrum. That's the point. It's not like there's the spiritual and there's the physical. It's from the seen to the unseen. Very nice. So you see, you see that, or I would say from the infinite to the finite, if you, if you will. If you want to put it more in, in, in godly terms. So that's what it is. And, and again, wh- what I'm stressing and what I, what I hope that you'll understand with your brains now is that it's not there's the physical and the spiritual and they're two different things. That it's one continuum. It's one continuum. That's very, very important. Okay. So now I want to show you once we have the, the once God, so to speak, uh, contracts his essence from the awesomely spiritual from the infinite to the finite which is this world but then this world again is saturated with godliness it's, 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 it's condensed spirituality if you will now, now let me just make an important caveat let me tell you what we aren't saying right now it's very important that you hear this carefully because, because if you get this wrong it's a different religion it's not Judaism so hear the following very carefully we are not saying God equals the world, and the world equals God. We're not saying that. That's a different religion, okay? What we're saying is, the world is filled with godliness, and that God exists dimensions beyond the world. That's, that's Judaism. A very important distinction. Very important distinction, okay? Um, okay. So now, once God has created a physical universe, which is a neat trick, considering that he's infinite, right? If you think about it, right? Now that he's done that, he can channel 
his infinity into the world. Okay? So that's why after the seven days of creation, right, after the physical world has been created, the very first Pasuk afterwards, the very first verse afterwards contains the name Yudke Vavke. So you understand how this is now obeying all the physics of spirituality, if you will. Okay? Now, let's look carefully at the context that the name of Hashem is mentioned. Because this will teach us something, a very big lesson. And then we're going to tie it back to the overall structure of the, of the Chumash, of the five books, okay? So, so, so it says, um, Eli told us, right? This is again on page 10 of the Arts Pro Chumash, uh, verse number 4. Eli, you, you want to hear something really cool? And I didn't even do this on purpose. Oh, yeah, Eli is the first word of Devarim. Right. Which is what I'm bringing this as a proof for, and I didn't even realize that. So that's, that's, that's a good sign. That's, that's, uh, that's, anyway. So Eli, Eli told us, so again, we're starting with this Aleph. So Eli told us, so these um, are the products or the generations of the heavens and the earth. Now look at this amazing word. One of the most amazing words in the whole Torah. You see, Behibaram. Do you see the little hay? Small hay, yeah. So there's, um, there's uh, quite, 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 quite a number of things to say about this small hay, but, but we don't really have time to go into it. But you'll see if you're interested, there's, uh, there's uh, ton, tons of commentary on this small hay. Biomasos. Um, now you see this Yudke Vavke, right? The name of Hashem then appears, and that's the first time in the whole Chumash that it appears. And then we have Elohim, right? So that's interesting too. Eretz V'Shemayim. So I'll translate the whole Pasuk into English, although we're mostly going to be looking at the positioning of the words more than the meaning of the verse itself. But let me just, for clarity's sake, translate the verse. These are the products of the heaven and the earth, of the earth or the generations of the heaven and the earth, when they were created on the day that Hashem God made heaven and earth. Okay, very good. Now, let's go back to this amazing word, because I want to show you something that's very, very interesting about where the first Yudke Vavke, the first infinite name of Hashem, appears in the Chumash. It is shortly after this mysterious, amazing word, the Hibaram, with a little small hay in it. Okay? Now, the Zohar says the following. The Zohar says... The Hibaram, if you rearrange the letters, um, uh, spells B-Avraham. Okay? So here is the first mention of Avraham Avinu in the Chumash. So this is right after the seventh day of creation. And, of course, even before the creation of Adam HaRishon, before Adam HaRishon is mentioned. Actually, that's not true. Adam is already mentioned on the sixth day. But we're going to retell the story of Adam Arishon in, in detail with Chava and the snake and everything like that. But nonetheless, in between the two, actually that's even more significant, in between the two mentionings of, of Adam, we've got Abraham. That's even deeper actually. You and, know? And the fact that the hay is small, uh, only the hay, not the other letters of Abraham, is that a hint that uh, something to do with uh, Abraham's name was changed from Abraham without the hay to Abraham with the hay. Yeah, that's one of the levels. That's oh, one of the levels. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that hay was added to, to 
Avraham's name, going from Avram to Avram, that's one of the levels. Yeah, and that's quite small. So, but there are many things said on it. Don't. There's there's many many things said on this. So, but that is one of. Them. So, so anyway, so be Avraham. So Avraham is really like the is the ultimate model of the the ultimate tzaddik is Avraham. You know, you know you could have an interesting debate: who's greater, Avraham or Moshe? And, you know, in some ways you have to say Moshe is greater. Because, I mean, really, Moshe was on Har Sinai three different times for 40-day periods and didn't eat or drink 40 days in a row, three times. That's unbelievable. That's incredible. I mean, he was basically just absorbing light. You know, I mean, it's... Who Moshe Rabbeinu was, never before or since. It says, when Mashiach comes, Mashiach is not going to be as great a prophet, the Rambam brings us, as Moshe Rabbeinu was. Moshe Rabbeinu was, is, and will forever be the greatest prophet ever. Now, Mashiach will be greater in other things, but not in prophecy. Okay, so 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 now consider the greatness of Moshe, but the Medrash says the following. You ready? Yeah, Moshe backwards is a show. Ron also says that Moshe was an angel, was a Moloch. Yeah, yeah. Right, the Ishalokim. They call him Ishalokim. You know, in fact, when it. Well, so. So, but he's born. But he's born from parents, though. So we have to. We have to. We, yeah, we have to be a little bit careful when we say that he was an angel because he wasn't an angel. He, he was be a, careful. He, 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 he was a human being. That's the point. I mean, that's he was born a human being, but he was right. I mean, he, he, Rambam he, gives more explanation. He explains it out yeah. in detail. I mean, he um, elevated he himself. He, he saturated himself in the to the highest extent with kedusha, with holiness. But it's very important that we understand that he was a human being. Not only was he a human being, but he got angry. And not only that, but Hashem told him to speak to the rock, and he hit the rock, so he made a mistake. So, I mean, he remained a human. He remained a human. That's, that's very important to us, because there are other religions that like to turn people into gods, and that's not our religion. So, 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 so um, but then again, we can't downplay the awesomeness of what Moshe did, right? Okay, anyway, but here's the point I wanted to get to. Here's the point I wanted to make, which is the Medrash says that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to receive the Torah in Shemayim, right? The angels wanted to kill him. Alright? And they and they absolutely didn't want to give him the Torah because they were like, you're going to give... They were mad at God. You're going to give people the Torah? The Torah is so holy. You're going to give it to people? Yeah. You know? And, uh, and so, you know what Hashem did? Hashem changed the face of Moshe to Abraham's and, and said to the angels... This is the man who gave you hospitality, and this is how you treat him, <laughs> right? So you see, so you see that if you want to make a debate between who's greater, Moshe or Abraham, well, you know, on a, on a, on a heart level, you say, ah, oh, it's got to be Abraham. But then when you think about it, you say, oh, it's got to be Moshe. But then when you hear that Moshe was only able to actually get the Torah when they saw him as Abraham, then you know. Anyway, we don't have to settle this debate. They're both great. They're in, they, they, you know, 
So, so, but I, I'm just telling you this to show you the greatness of Abraham. That's the point. So, so here between the two mentions of Adam Harishon, Adam during the on the sixth day of creation, and now the the the, the more fleshed out story of Adam in the Garden of Eden. All of a sudden, we have this amazing word, the Hibaram. Already, according to the Zohar, the the God Himself is telling us about like the perfected human being, basically. Like the ultimate tzaddik. Well, all men, women, everything, all of us can, can strive toward what the, what the model is, okay? Now, here's the real point. All that's background, just for what I'm about to tell you right now. Only after we have the mention of the tzaddik, of the, of the idealized human being, only then do you see Yudke Vavke. Meaning to say, if we're talking about channels and, the, and how God uh, flows into the world, you see he flows into the world, the last gate that he enters through are through human beings. In other words, through our actions, we make God manifest and known in this world. Do you see? So you have Abraham, and then after you have established the tzaddik, then that's the last stopping point before the holiest name of God enters into the world. So that's all of us. And it says, interestingly, you know, to, this is a slightly different point, but I'm, I'm just showing you how this point appears in a different context. There's a, a psalm, I, I believe it's the 27th psalm, where it says, open up the gates of righteousness, right? And um, so, uh, so it says, uh, and then it says, and then it says again, or it says, you know, you know raise up the gates, you know, I don't have a, uh, if you give me a, uh, is it 24? 24, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. It's number 24, it's saying corrected, thank you. So, um, so it repeats it twice. So, so I saw, um, I, I, I'm not sure who it was, I think it was the Ramkal, not positive, but he says that the reason why it's repeated twice is the following. When there's a base of Nikdash, when there's a holy temple in Jerusalem, then God's, um, uh, God flows, so to speak, thank you, God flows to the world through the base of Nikdash, through the holy temple. And now, why is it repeated a second time? In that psalm, in 24, if you look, it's repeated twice. Because when there is no Beis HaMikdash, then, he's thro- then he flows through the world through righteous people. That we become the, sort of, the Mikdash, the, because every person is a Mikdash. Also, every person is like a temple. You know, so, so we become that last stopping point through, through which God flows through. Now, there's a, a, a very important book called um, the Tamar Devorah by the Ramak. Um, and, and basically, it, 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 it shows you uh, different, different things. But, but the imagery I heard from Rabbi Kersner, which I, which I really liked, I thought it was so amazing, was, and I might be embellishing his words, but this, this I definitely learned from him in his... Uh, is imagine like you have like um, levers. You're, considering, you're sitting in the, in the control tower, Okay. Now, imagine um, you get um, angry. Right now, I'm mad at you. Oh, I'm yelling, I'm yelling, I'm yelling, I'm yelling. Right now, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm pushing the lever, and through me, I'm channeling divine anger into the world. You see? Because I'm, so to speak, the last gate 
before it comes into the world. Now, let's say, uh, oh, I'm really mad at you, but you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be calm, and I'm not going to express it. Then what I do is, it's more than just not getting mad at you. What I'm doing is I'm actually stopping uh, a, a divine form of retribution or, or vengeance or whatever it is from entering into the world. Or now let's put it in a, a more positive way. If I express gratitude and thanks and I'm smiling and I'm happy, I'm channeling like all this positive divine energy in the world. And every single person has a set of controls in front of them. You see, this is another way of understanding um, this notion of us being the last stopping off point. The, the, the Behibaram, the Ba'avraham, before the Yudke Vavke enters. Do, do you see how this happens? Now, now that you see this, you'll understand how important your actions are. Because you really have this set of controls in front of you. And, and you know, you can make the world a more positive place. Like, a, a slightly different way of saying this, but Rabbi Nachman of Breslov says the following. When you give someone else the benefit of the doubt, you bring peace into the world. Uh, just imagine that. You know, it's sort of like, you know, yeah. you did that thing, and I'm not sure about that thing that you did. And you know what, I... But you know what, maybe you meant this. So I'm about to get angry, but you know what I say, you know, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you had something good in mind, I don't really understand it, but maybe you had something good in mind. Look how you just brought peace into the world. I was about to get angry, I was about to make a fight with you, right? And who knows, once you make a fight with another person, then your friends have to take sides, right? Then their friends have to take sides, you know, one fight can do a lot of damage in the world. You know? Cause a lot of pain in the world to people who you don't even know. Now imagine, at that moment, instead of getting mad, I give you the benefit of the doubt. Do you see how peace just entered into the world? Really? You just, peace entered into the world. It's a big deal. So, so now I'm going to just ask you to just... Clear your minds for a moment, and just I'm going to put it all together right now, and I just want you to understand this point, please. So I'm making a I'm making a, a structural a structural comparison right now. Okay, so again, let's let's repeat the the first side of this. The first four books of the Torah, it's it's pure prophecy for Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe is being told to say the word of God. And Moshe is the greatest prophet that will ever live, before, during, or even including Mashiach, he's the greatest. And his greatness is, is that no aspect of his personality is entering into the words. Right? It's like what's called a clear lens. Not a cloudy lens, a clear lens. Okay? That's the imagery of the, of the Talmud. Okay? So, so, just it's a clear window. It's just the word of God that's entering. That's the first four books of the Torah. The fifth book of the Torah Already it's Moshe speaking. Okay? But again, we said at the beginning that Moshe is speaking from such a high, refined, awesome place of prophecy. Remember, the first word of, of, of the Parsha is Eleh, like right over here in this, in this Pasuk also, and it's the, it begins with the letter Aleph, which is hinting at this highest level. And like the Obarbanal says, that after he said it, God says, now write it down. So even though he said it, 
in the end it was from God, because God wanted it to be written down from, from, from him, right? So, okay. So now, what we have there is the Torah, the first four books of the Torah, and we have Moshe Rabbeinu, who's raising himself up through keeping the mitzvahs and doing the will of God in such an awesome, pure way, that he then becomes, so to speak, the last gate before the completion of the Torah. And over here, we have in this Pasuk, Bihibaram, the human being, who is the last gate before the Yudkevake comes. So so again, there's this there's this very beautiful parallel. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I know Moses was, up, Moshe was on the on Sinai when Hashem made the Torah was telling him what to write. Yes. Um, we say letter for letter, by the way, that so Hashem dictated the Torah letter by letter. So like, even the parts didn't happen yet. So like Moshe probably knew his destiny. Like, so why? Like, you know, we couldn't change it. Like, it was already written. Like, why did he want to pray that he could go to Israel? Or why? Why? I mean. What was the purpose of like, doing anything if you knew that? Like, what was going to happen? Right, right. So this is a big question. And, and, you know, we say that at Mount Sinai, that Moshe got the whole Torah, and he got all the halachas and everything like this, and he saw everything. But in terms of, like, there, there's also an opinion that as that he wrote down different chunks at different times during the 40 years also. So, so, so we have to look, because there's a chronology, and I, I have to check it again, to be honest with you, but, but we have to look at all the opinions and, and everything like this, because we have very much the, um, the, the foundation in Judaism, that God sees everything, but at the same time, we have free choice. So we have to, that's, you know, the details of the discussion, I have to clarify in my own mind, to be, to be honest with you. And I have to review them. However, the bottom line is, is that Moshe had free choice. Don't, don't think that Moshe didn't have free choice, because, because all of us have free choice. I was thinking like maybe he, yeah, he was going to do the 560-something prayers, because that's right. what was written in the Torah that he had to do, even though he wasn't going to get into Israel. Right. I think, I don't know, I think that our, 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 the straight way of understanding it, the, the, the simple direct way of understanding it, is that he had free choice throughout. And 515 prayers, which is the gematria of the Eschana, okay, which is the, 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 this week's Parsha. So, so now I want to just talk about something else, which is, which is, um, which is this idea that we brought up in the beginning. If the Mishnah Torah, if, if, the, if it's called Mishnah Torah, the fifth book, why, why are there new mitzvahs there? Right? If it's just a repetition of the Torah, why do we see new mitzvahs there? Who wrote those mitzvahs? Coming from Moshe? From, from God. From God. But, but yet, the way the Chumash is structured, the first time they're appearing is in, in Moshe's section. But all the mitzvahs are from God, not from Moshe. Even the ones in Dabar, 
are from God. At the time that he told Moshe to write what he said for the for the fifth book, he injected some more stuff at the time that he was writing it, or is no, all the stuff that Moshe said and, and God said right? Right. So, so all of the mitzvahs themselves are a thousand percent from God. Moshe did not create any mitzvahs. We have later on, we have what we call dirabanans, where the rabbis want to make sure that we, there's a fence around the mitzvahs and that we are protected and that we keep the mitzvah. You know, like, and so we have no problem with the dirabanans, with, with human beings coming up with mitzvahs, but we keep them separate. We, 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 we categorize them very carefully. This is a mitzvah der Raisa, this is from Hashem. This is a mitzvah der Rabban, and this is from the rabbis. Right? So that's, that's the, yeah, go ahead. I think that's her question, your right. question. Yeah. It's kind of like overlapping. Yeah. That, I think it's analogy of a computer, like I press a page, and it just doesn't show because something is slow. It's there, but we don't see it yet, and then it appears. Like, like everything. Okay, I hear, I hear. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, there are a lot of ways of expressing it. There are a lot of ways of expressing it. A lot of, but, 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 but let's not lose sight of the bottom line, which is that we always have free choice. We always have free choice. That's very important. And that's, if you want to see it, it's in Pirkei Avos, chapter 3, verse 19. Okay? That's where it says it very clearly. Um, so, um, so, anyway. What are these new mitzvahs doing there? And when I say new, maybe that, 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 that language is confusing, what I'm saying. Why are they appearing there for the first time, if it's a repetition? Okay? And so I want to suggest what I think is a very deep idea, which is that the Torah is absolutely infinite. And um, I'll tell you a favorite story of mine. I was at a program uh, called Israelite, um, which is led by Rabbi David Aaron in the Old City in Jerusalem, a wonderful program. Actually, they're going to be doing a session soon. If anyone wants to go to Jerusalem and get a crash course in, in Torah, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's uh, Israelite, I-S-R-A-L-I-G-H-T. Don't do Israelite, otherwise you'll get a Christian missionary site. <laughs> so, it's Israelite, and um, it's called Inward Bound, and it's fabulous. It's fabulous. If you can swing it, do it. Um, so anyway, I went to the first session. I had been learning, not, not so much, but I had been learning for a while, but this was, it's an introduction. But because it's so philosophically oriented, even if you know something, you'll learn tons of new stuff. So it's even for advanced people, although it's sort of maybe more as an introduction, but even if you're more advanced, you'll get a lot out of it. Anyway, so I'm there the first day of the first session. We're meeting in the old city, and Rabbi Aaron is standing by a blackboard, and he says to the to the group that was there, he says, okay. He says, what's the Torah? So someone raised their hand and says, a book of history. He says, very good. He writes that on the blackboard, a book of history. And someone else raises their hand and says, a book of laws. He says, very good. He writes down a book of laws. And then I raise my hand and he says, go ahead. I said, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. And he said, okay, let's hold off on that for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> So, so the Torah is the, it's the infinite compressed into the finite. Now, if the Torah is infinite, then that means that there's never-ending levels to it. So, I think all of us who have been learning Torah for a while, 
maybe even for a short period of time. But, but this is something that continually amazes all people when they learn Torah and they take it seriously, which is that they never stop seeing new things. They never, ever stop. It's incredible. It's, you see the divinity of the Torah when you realize, how could it be that? That's also that, also that, also that. You know, it's really, literally mind-blowing. So, yeah, it's no question. I don't know anything so, else that would be like that. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the infinite compressed in the finite. It's, it's never, it's, it, is, it is infinite. Like, people think the Torah is a book. A Torah is not a book. God, it says God looked into the Torah and he made the universe. The whole world is made out of the Torah. So, 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 Devarim, I want to suggest the following, is that it's a review, right? We're reviewing the events of the first four books. And yet God is saying, only when you look at it a second time, are you going to see something for the first time? <laughs> that's why, that's why these mitzvahs are appearing for the first time in quote-unquote, the repetition of the Torah. Because when you only when you look at it a second time are you going to see this for the first time. <laughs> and so that's a model. That's a model for all of Torah study that's being brought across in Devarim. Okay? And that's true for, by the way, all of the books of the Torah, not just Devarim. But you see it most clearly in Devarim. Now I want to say... Um, something else, and we'll start to wrap it up here. This is something that I was thinking about myself, so this is my thoughts. So, anyway, I want to look at the interaction of the first letter of the of Devarim, and the first letter of the book. Okay? So, so you have um, Devarim is, uh, starts with the letter Dalit. By the way, it's the only Parsha in the entire Torah that starts with the letter Dalit. Okay? And then the first letter of the Parsha is the letter Aleph. So, if you know a little bit of Gematria, you know the letter Dalit is four and the letter Aleph is one. So, four and one is five. Okay? So, we have, again, the first letter of the, of the, of the, of the, of the Parsha, which is also the first letter of the book, and the first letter of the name of the Parsha. And you can stack one on top of the other in your mind. So you've got the Aleph on top of the Dalit, if you will. Right? You've got one and four. Right? Aleph and Dalit. One and four. So that adds up to five. Okay? So I'm going to go into more depth into this interplay between this one and the four in a moment. But let's just say some basic stuff right now. Why is that number five meaningful? Because it's the fifth book of the Torah. So, okay, that's interesting. Fifth book of the Torah. Okay, very good. Then also, um, the Dalit of Devarim. The, the title itself. Right, that's the name of the Parsha is Devarim. And it's also the name of the book. Devarim. Yeah. I want to point out that our palm has five fingers, but the four is separated from the five. Oh, that's nice. I like that. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. Good. So four and five, you see it on the hand. Right? Okay, that's beautiful. All right, so, you know, every, every time I've, I've said this Torah a couple of times, every time I've said it, someone has something to add to it. And I'll tell you something. The Baal Shem Tov says a very interesting Torah. He says, you know a sign of whether a Torah is good or not? If when you say it, people add to it. 
If people get new ideas based on your Torah, that's a sign that it's a good Torah. And the way that the Baal Shem Tov learns that out is the following. It says that David HaMelech learned one thing from Achitofel. Now, Achitofel was one of the greatest Torah scholars ever, but he turned out to be kind of a corrupt personality, unfortunately. So, so when the Baal Shem Tov says, so how could it be that one of the greatest minds in history, Achitofel, that David HaMelech, King David, only learned one thing from him, they say because the Baal Shem Tov says, you know, because the Torah that he said didn't spark any more Torahs. <laughs> so this was a this was an indication that the Torah that he was saying, even though it may have been coming from a very high intellectual place, that there was something not so great about it, you know. And uh, of course, he meets a bad end in the end. So so you see it in his life as well. Okay. So now, so now. So this, so Aleph and Dalit, so it's the fifth book of the Torah, okay? Not only that, but I mentioned this to my wife, and she said, it's also said over in the fifth month, because we always read Devarim, that's always the Parsha we read before Tisha B'Av. And Av, that means every year we read Devarim in Av, and Av is the fifth month. <laughs> okay? So, so... So, not only that, there's boy, there's another really obvious five, and I'm forgetting it. Another obvious five here. Okay, I'm not sure. Well, but, <laughs> oh, I know what it is. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The 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 other oh hadavarim. Okay, so there's a hey there. So that's nice. There's another Torah. Okay, good. So here's the other thing, which is that it was it took. Okay, one second. It took it took five weeks to say it. If you look at the art scroll, actually, because it was, it be, it was begun on the first day of Shvat. That's when Devarim is begun. And by the way, the Chidush Erem, the first Gera Rebbe, says that when the first day of Shvat rolls around, your Torah knowledge can, your Torah learning can jump a level. He said every year his Torah knowledge jumped a level when, Sh- when Shvat entered. Because that's when, when Moshe Rabbeinu started saying Sefer Devarim. Okay? Now, so, and then Moshe left the world on the 7th of Adar, Zion Adar. And that's basically, that is five weeks. I think it's like 37 days, which is five weeks. So in other words, there you see another hey. You see another five. That this book was set over a period of five weeks. So it's set over a period of five weeks in the fifth month, and it's the fifth book. Okay? So, because I'm about to get very esoteric on you. This is not the esoteric stuff that I'm telling you right now. So, I'm just trying to show you that there's a real integrity to this idea of, 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 of stacking the Aleph and the Dalit. Okay? The first letter of the Parsha name and the first letter of the Parsha itself. Okay? Aleph and Dalit. Okay. Now, there's also five levels to the song. Okay? And, um... You know, so you have you have an Aleph, the highest level of the soul is called Yechida, we're always one with God. So that really correlates with the letter Aleph. Okay? And uh, so, so, so who's speaking the Aleph and the Dalit is Moshe. That begins with a Mem. So if you take Aleph, Dalit, and Mem, that spells Adam. Right? We're back to Adam. 
<laughs> Back to the Garden of Eden, right? So, so the mem is for Moshe, because Moshe is the one who's speaking it out. So, right? Um, Aleph, Dalit, Mem, right? Adam. In fact, Aleph, Dalit, Mem, remember the first person was the DNA, so to speak, of all of humanity going forward. So they say Adam stands for Adam, David, Mashiach. That that's all contained within Adam. Okay? Because he's the first person. So he's got the whole history of humanity inside of him. Okay? So, so now... Mashiach, not Moses, then, it would be, then in that case it would be a future Mashiach, not Moses, or would it be Moses? Well, you know, Moshe could have been Mashiach. He was. If he had, well, he wasn't, because Mashiach's not here. <laughs> I mean, he was from Egypt, he was from... <laughs> no, he's not. Mashiach is an exclusive term. Uh, you can be, you could have been Mashiach, that's one level, and then you are Mashiach. If you, if you are Mashiach, that means that, that we're in Olam Abba at this point. But isn't there a, also a concept of Mashiach um, that he saved you in a certain time and place and was the savior of the generation? I mean, he saved the Jewish people from their... Yeah, religion. but that's not how we're using the term now. Yeah, you can have someone who saves you, right? But that's not quote-unquote Mashiach. That's someone who saved you. But isn't it related? Oh, it's the same word. It can be the a, a Moshiach, yeah. I mean, but it's not. But but it's it's the difference between saying that this is the one all of humanity has been waiting for, okay. and someone who stopped me from getting a parking ticket. I guess the difference would be the one and only the versus a. Yeah, right. But that's a major difference. He was the of that time. No, he was not. He was not. He was not. You can't use the term in that way. It's an exclusive term. It's an exclusive term. There's only one Mashiach and he hasn't come yet. It's, it's an exclusive term. It can't be used willy-nilly. It can't be used well, loosely. Yeah, there was redemption. That's that? why you think yeah, there was redemption. Like they, 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 they were, um, they were saved from uh, the Right. He yeah, saved us. Absolutely. He saved us big time. He was not the Mashiach. There's been Mashiach. He could have been the Mashiach. He was not the Mashiach. There's been a candidate for Mashiach. In every generation. every generation, every generation, at every moment, Mashiach can come at any moment. But, but we haven't. Been, we're but not that doesn't mean that person is the Mashiach. It's a potential, potential, big difference. New religions start on, on on this conversation, so you have to have it really clear in your head. You have to have it very clear in your head what we're talking about. This is not a small point that we're making right now. Okay. So so okay. So so now, so now. What I want to say is the following, that, that, that there are 50 gates of wisdom, right? Just like the Torah was given over a period of, on the 50th day, after we left Egypt, on the 50th day, the Torah was given, right? And that's the highest emanation, right? We count 49 days, right, with the spheres HaOmer, we count 49 days, and we don't count the 50th day. Because you can't count the 50th day. Because when the Torah was given, that's infinite. You can't put a number on that. Because then you're putting parameters on something that's infinite. Okay? So, Moshe Rabbeinu, there are also 50 levels. What we call the, um, the Shar Hamishin. The 50 gates of Bina. The 50 gates of understanding. Now, Moshe reached the 49th level. And on the last day of his life, 
Aleph also stands for one. So on the last day of his life, he reached the 50th level. <laughs> Which was understanding the whole paraduma, how the ashes of the red heifer work, how that ultimate paradox works. So what I'm trying to say to you is that here at the beginning of, of, of Sefer Devarim, with this Aleph and the Dalit, you have kind of like a map of the spirituality in the soul of Moshe Rabbeinu. <coughs> Which is that that which is that that last Aleph stands for the fiftieth gate, the last gate that he was able to attain. And first he didn't have it, which is like you have the Dalit separated from the Aleph, right? He was missing that Aleph. And then on the last day of his life, he was able to attain that Aleph, which is the completion of the entire soul, right? That's the full model, the full level of achievement. Which he, which he gets. So you see in a very interesting way um, the progression of the spirituality and the levels of Moshe's soul from, from taking the first letters of the, uh, of, of the Parsha in the book. So um, anyway, we have to stop right now. And, uh, and if just to review maybe the most central point here is to understand that that, that, that we can channel divine energy into the world. And we are, so to speak, the last gate, like it says, the Hibaram, and then later on, the first mention of the Yudke Vavke. And so, so, we shouldn't indulge ourselves when it comes to being angry. We shouldn't indulge ourselves when it comes to being in a bad mood. Because we're not just serving our own interest at that moment, but we're channeling divine energy into the world in a very meaningful way at that time. And by giving someone the benefit of the doubt or whatever it is, you can actually literally bring peace into the world. And of course these things reverberate and reverberate beyond what we're aware of. You know, we, we went through um, yesterday the, the, uh, the, 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 the Talmud's explanation of why the temple was destroyed. A Kamsa and Bar Kamsa. We spent a long time on it and got into a very detailed conversation about it. And we know that because these two people had an argument, it ended up destroying Jerusalem and the Holy Temple. And there was a moment, there was a moment there where if one of the people from the party had gone up to the aggrieved person and said, hey, I don't know what just went I know you just got embarrassed. I don't know what just went on. I don't know what that guy was thinking. How could he do that? I don't even know. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sure he's going to make it up to you. Listen, don't be mad or whatever it is. I hope you're okay. Maybe let's get a drink or whatever it is. If he had diffused some of that anger, the entire base of Mikdash would have been saved. You understand? Jerusalem would have been saved. So the reason why I'm telling you that is that when you... When, when, you, when you stop a bad mood, right? Because your bad mood, you yelled at someone, now that person is on edge, and then they're going to yell at someone. Or that person is on edge, and it's sort of like there's a hard phone call that they need to make. And you know what? They just don't have the strength to make that phone call anymore. Now that phone call doesn't get made. There's ripple effects. Or, the other hand, you say something nice to someone, and then all of a sudden they're feeling good about themselves. You know what? Ah, it's been so hard for me to make that phone call. You know what? I'm going to make that phone call. Then there are ripple effects. You know, like, if, can you imagine someone stopped Bar Kamsa 
as he walked out and said something nice to him and got him like a little bit less angry. And then he came home and his wife said, how was the party? He goes, okay, it was good, you know. Anything happened? Well, there was a fight. Oh my goodness, I said something to this guy. I, hopefully it'll work out. Hopefully it'll... Like, you know, like we don't even... That person, had he done that, could he or she ever imagine what they accomplished? Dare to, uh, dare to imagine what they accomplished. So what I'm saying is, you know, don't take these things lightly. If you are able to put someone in a good mood, or if you are able to stop your anger from coming out into the world, don't take these things lightly. You have accomplished something magnificent, and you should, you should feel proud about these things, because these are the real achievements that we're going to, after 120, leave the world with. Okay.